preschoolers, uh, y'all are dismissed right now. Our sermon text today is from Genesis 24, 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he met, made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels? Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. But this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. All right, you can be seated as we pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have spoken to us this morning in this passage here as we uh, see your steadfast love to your servant Abraham. Lord, as we see how that is extended uh, through generations and as we see how it's accomplished even through small details. God, we pray as recipients of promise ourselves in Christ that you would strengthen our hearts, be reminded of the promise that you've made to us, Lord, and your faithfulness in it. God, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, so this is Father's Day, and my dad is here this morning. I figure this would be a great chance for me to uh, score some brownie points and move up in the sibling rankings a little bit. Uh, so, no, I, I really mean what I'm about to say. Uh, but so, my parents growing up, uh, their word to us, they told us they were going to do something, was pretty much good as gold. 
right? Like they said, we're going to go, you know, X today. We went to X that day. Or, you know, they said, you do this, you're going to be in trouble. I was in trouble when I did, you know, whatever it was they said I shouldn't do, right? Like, pretty much unless there was some kind of extenuating circumstance, some unexpected whatever, like I, I knew that my parents said, hey, we're going to do something, we would do it. Uh, to the degree that I can't remember, now there's, I'm sure there's rare exceptions, but I cannot remember a time from my childhood that my parents said, we're going to do something or this will happen, and they didn't follow through without, of course, you know, like I said, some reason preventing it from happening. And so when I grew up, and uh, I got older, and uh, I was, you know, 18 to 20, came out of high school. I, I was kind of under the, like, naive impression that that's just kind of how the world worked. Like, when people said they were going to do something, they just kind of did it. Um, and so that was, my bubble was burst uh, pretty quickly. Um, and I, I realized that, uh, you know, when people say that they're going to do something, you know, um, for some people, it, it is locked down, right? Like, you know when they promise you something, it's, it's locked down. They're going to do it. You know when some people say something that it's, you, you're probably going to be let down, right? Like, you know, it's like, ah, that's, I better have a plan B here. Um, there is a third group, though. Um, and when they promise you something, it's just unbridled chaos, right? Like, they say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Sure, X, Y, and Z is on the table, but so is the rest of the alphabet. They could do anything, right? Like, um, the first two groups, at least, you know, there's some like, I know what's going to happen here. That last group, though, they're the ones that keep me up at night, right? <laughs> like, I have no clue what they're going to do. Um, well, so what I think we see in this passage this morning is a bit of contrast in the faithfulness in the Lord to bring his promises to pass. In people in our life, right, like, People may be well-intentioned to fulfill their promises, and people, like, a, you know, like mentioning my parents, they may, like, they're going to do it unless something happens. But the truth is that unless someone is both willing and able to make their promises come to pass, there are times that we're going to be disappointed and let down in life. But the truth in this passage is that God is not only faithful to his promises— and his character, as in he desires to bring his promises to pass, and he will not change his mind once he has made a promise, but he is also able to make his promises come to pass. What we see in this passage is that God's providence, his power, his providence ensures that his promises will come to pass. God's providence ensures that God's promises will come to pass. So I want to look here at Genesis 24, and first I want us to note the place here in Genesis that Genesis 24 occupies. So the preceding 12 chapters before we get to Genesis 12 kind of describe a tension between God's promises and Abraham's circumstances. God's promises to Abraham and Abraham's circumstances. Like, for instance, God's promises to make Abraham into a great nation, but he has no heir from his own bloodline. God promises to give Abraham a beautiful, wonderful land, but it's far away and occupied. God promises to give Abraham children, but his wife Sarah is both biologically barren and too old to have them. 
And we see that tension playing out between God's promises to Abraham and Abraham's circumstances that look like those promises are not going to be able to be fulfilled. And last week, um, when we looked at uh, God's call to Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, we kind of saw the culmination of that tension. We see the culmination uh, where God calls Abraham to sacrifice the child that he is going to use to bring his promises about to him. And last week, we learned basically two things. Number one, that Abraham's faith had matured. It had matured to the point of almost unqualified, implicit trust in God's promises. He trusted God almost no matter what. And we saw something else. That God's promises were undefeatable. When God promised something, there is nothing that can prevent them from happening. But what about now? Abraham is old at this point, and he's about to pass away. Realize he doesn't have a lot of time left. But what comes next? Will God continue this faithfulness to Abraham through his descendants? Or was this kind of just a faithfulness to God, or excuse me, to, to Abraham only? God had promised, as we said in, in chapter 12, he promised to Abraham four things. Summarized, he promised to make Abraham into a great nation. He promised to prosper Abraham and to make his name great. He promised to protect Abraham, and he promised to multiply Abraham's blessing to the entire world. The first of those promises, even here at the end of Abraham's life, remained basically unfulfilled that God would make Abraham into a great nation. He had given him a son, yes, but he had not made that son into a nation. And this, this basic math, right? Like one son does not equal a nation, right? Like there's more work to be done here for this promise to be fulfilled to Abraham. And this passage today demonstrates God's continued faithfulness to his promise to Abraham and his children and, uh, and it shows how he is able to accomplish that promise to Abraham and his children. So looking at the, uh, our sermon this morning, basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage, see what it has to say. We're going to look at the main truth that I believe it's leading us towards, and then finally we'll just look at our response. Very standard stuff this morning. We look first here at this passage here in Genesis 24. And basically, this passage is divided into four scenes. If we're talking about all of Genesis 24, you will notice mercifully that we did not read all of Genesis 24. It is, uh, it would be, I think, a second place to the longest passage we have ever read at Trace if we had read all of Genesis chapter 24. And about half of the chapter is retailing the first half of the chapter, right? So it's like the, the one half of the chapter twice uh, for most of the content. But it happens in four scenes, this chapter. Uh, first, there is a covenant that is made, a covenant between Abraham and his servant. Then there is a search that happens in order to fulfill this covenant. And there is a conversation that uh, Abraham's servant has with um, the woman that he is, he's went to find in her family. And then finally, there's a ceremony between uh, Isaac and Rebecca in their wedding ceremony. We'll look mostly at the first two of those scenes, what was read this morning. The covenant that Abraham makes with the servant and the search that this servant goes on. 
So the first thing we see here is a covenant that is made between Abraham and his servant. It tells us here in, in Genesis 24.1 that at this point, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham and all things. But despite having been blessed in all things, having reached this ripe old age, Abraham realizes that there is more that God has in store for his family. And that requires his son to find a wife. And so Abraham says, I can take care of that. And so he decides to make a covenant with his servant to go search for a wife for Isaac. At this point, Abraham being, you know, as it says, old and well advanced in years, he's too old to go himself. And so he commissions, he covenants with his servant to go on his behalf. Now, obviously that was the purpose of the covenant, to find Isaac a wife. There were some conditions for this covenant. So the first condition Abraham has here for his servant is to leave God's promised land to find a wife. So he says here in uh, in verse 2, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The reason that Abraham wanted uh, his servant to go back to his homeland to find a wife is not entirely clear to me, um, to be honest with you. I mean, there's probably a reason. I'm just not smart enough to, you know, figure it out. Uh, But Abraham wants his servant to go back to his uh, homeland to find the wife. It may simply be a preference thing, right? So that's why covenants with him. So that's the first condition, is to leave God's promised land to find Isaac a wife. But the second condition of this covenant is to not, to not relocate Isaac from God's promised land to find him a wife. So he says to go find a wife, you know, that, uh, to not take a wife from the daughter of the Canaanites, but go back to my homeland. And then Abraham said to him, see to it that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and he shall take a wife uh, for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Right? So he is extremely clear with the second condition of this covenant. He says, you will not take Isaac from this land. God had called me to this land, and God had promised me this land. And so do not undo this just to make this oath of mine happen. If you meet someone, a woman, and you ask her to come back, and she says no, you're free. Free this oath, you can come back, God will provide a wife by another means. In this covenant that Abraham is making, he is demonstrating both initiative and faith. Both initiative and faith. Something we hadn't seen much from Abraham so far. Right? He's demonstrating initiative. You know, he's saying, he's saying uh, my son he needs a wife because God has promised that he will make me into a great nation. So 
let's go get a wife, right? Like, this is a tremendous amount of initiative, right? The amount of initiative that we cannot take, right? Like, the, you know, if you want your, uh, your, your son to find the wife, the best you can do is, like, set him up with your best friend's daughter or something, right? Like, Abraham's like, no, go get one and bring her back. Um, so he, he exhibits initiative, but he does it in a different way that he does earlier in, in earlier chapters, right? For instance, with uh, Hagar, he uh, takes initiative, but he does it in a disbelieving way, right? When he has a, he has a, a son through Hagar, all right? He, 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 instead of relying on God's promises to provide a son through his own uh, wife, he goes through other means and disobeys the Lord, but here, here he is remembering the fact that God has called him to this land and promised him this land. And so he says, if this whole thing doesn't work out, you can't find a wife where I'm sending you, that's all right. Just come back and you're free from that oath. And I know that God will provide a wife through another means. And so again, we see Abraham's mature faith here when he's able to take initiative but still have faith as well. Right, so that's the first thing we see here, this covenant that God, or excuse me, that Abraham, I'm used to saying God, you know, making the covenants. But anyway, this covenant that Abraham makes here with his servant. Well, the next thing that we see is the search that this servant takes. Search to find the wife as Abraham had called him to do. So it says that the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So this would not have been a short journey, right, that he's, he's undertaking. We're talking about a month at least, right? This is a long journey from the time Abraham says, go back to my family. So he picks up and goes, and it's a long trek to get there. When he gets there, when he gets there, he devises a way to determine God's will. This is here in verses 11 through 14. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of... Uh, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one to whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. All right, so this way the servant determines, uh, uses to determine God's will, basically involves... God, if you do this, then I'll know that I need to do that, right? Like, it's a very simple, like, test that he's doing. It's kind of like Gideon and the fleece, if you're familiar with that. Um, and basically, this is just a way to try to find out God's will. Now, I know the question you have, because the same question I have, uh, or at least I'm assuming your mind's working like mine here, and it is... Now, is this a really a legitimate way to determine God's will, right? Like... It, should I be just praying for God to, like, send someone to water my camels, right? Like, is there some way that I, you know, prayer I need to pray, some test to put God under? Well, I think for this time, it's probably an okay way to determine God's will based on how little this servant of Abraham had to go on, right? So consider what this servant of Abraham would have known about God at this point. 
Basically, it would have been contained in a few stories that Abraham would be able to retell his servant. He would have had knowledge of like the covenant that God had made with Abraham and those promises. And that's about it, right? And so what he is basically evoking here is all the knowledge that he has about God. Here in verse 12, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast covenant love to my master Abraham. He's saying, God, I know that you have covenanted with my master and that you have promised him uh, that you, you will make him into a great nation. And so because of that, because of that love that you've shown to him, that promise that you've made, please show me who you have in mind for his son, Isaac. All right, so that's what he was working on, was the knowledge that God had made promises to Abraham and that he had been faithful to them. For our time, I would say probably not. We have two distinct advantages over Abraham's servant. The first being the Bible, right? The Bible having uh, much, 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 much more info about the Lord and his will and his purposes than Abraham's servant had. Also, we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us and guides us and helps us to apply God's written word to our lives and direct us. All right, so without those things, he was working from a different scenario. But he calls out to the Lord and asks him to, uh, to provide this way. And so the Lord answered him. The servant called, the Lord answered. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of the whore, Abraham's brother, came out with a water jar on her shoulder. The woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hands and gave him a drink. When she had finished drink, giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. She quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So this servant of Abraham approaches the city and says, all right, I'm going to go set up right here where the women come to draw water, and if a woman comes and offers water to me and to my camels. That's how I'm going to know, Lord, that that's the woman that you've sent. And it said before he had even finished talking, Rebecca came out to draw water. And so she comes and she draws water and gives some water to him. And then she does the key thing, offers water for his camels as well. And so that's how he knows. Um, this kind of what I imagine to be awkward moment where apparently he's gazing at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Um, he's determining, okay, this is the woman that God has sent for my servant Isaac. So here we see that God answered this call, this request the servant had made. He didn't speak to him audibly from the clouds. You know, he didn't speak to him the way that he had spoken to Abraham. But instead, he answers this servant through providence, through these events that happen. Before this servant had even finished speaking, Rebekah comes. Before the servant had even gotten to the city, God had already sent Rebekah on her way 
to answer the prayer that the servant had yet to even pray. God answered and provided through this providential act. All right, so that's the, that's the second scene is this search that this, uh, that this servant goes on. And then we see this conversation later, and we're not going to go through that because the servant retells the entire story. And I, I don't mean like he, he says, like he, he uses the same words that's used earlier in this passage to retell the story in the exact same way. And so uh, he goes and he, he speaks to Rebecca and speaks to her family and explains who he is and what purpose he's been sent for. And they look at him and they're like, I don't know, man, if all that happened, it's, it's kind of hard to say no to that, you know, I mean, that, it's got to be the Lord. That's like the other day, uh, Paige sent me out to uh, the car, and she said, hey, if on your way you see any dill pickle chips, grab those and bring them in. I was like, like, you want me to go out and get them? And she was like, no, just if you see them on your way. Like, obviously, you know, she was joking, and, but I was, I was thinking, I was like, you know, what an apologetic, though. Like, if I had went out and it was just an unopened bag of dill pickle chips in our driveway. Like, there's no way else to explain that but the Lord. And so that is basically the situation that Rebecca's family found themselves in. Like, well, I mean, if you prayed for someone to water those camels, as she said, she would. I, don't, I really don't know what else to say here. And so uh, though he talks to Rebecca's family. They're amenable to her going. He talks to Rebecca, and she's amenable to going as well. So they depart, and they go back. And then we see the ceremony there at the end of the chapter where Isaac and Rebecca meet and they are, uh, they, they are married there um, shortly after meeting. All right, so we see in this passage a central truth, I believe, an important truth. When I have to confess, when I first started looking at this passage, I was kind of like, God, you're going to have to help here. You're going to have to metaphorically water the camels here because I, I don't understand, you know, what, what is the key thing here. But the more that I looked at this, the more I came convinced of this truth that God's providence ensures that his promises will come to pass. So if you remember earlier, we, we've already reviewed them. Uh, basically, God made a lot of promises to Abraham. And most of them had come to pass but one of the most difficult to bring to pass was this idea that God was going to make Abraham into a great nation. And prior to this point in Genesis, God had worked in some incredible, miraculous ways to make that happen. He overcame Sarah's age and her barrenness to bring a child, to bring an heir for Abraham and Sarah forth. He had preserved Isaac even after calling for this sacrifice through a substitute that he provided. But today, in this passage, we see God working through many, many small, ordinary ways to make sure that his promises came to pass. Right? Consider all that God had to orchestrate for this to come to pass. Right? He, he had to give a son for Abraham and Sarah. Many years before this, he gave a daughter to Milcah and his wife. He gave Abraham the idea, for whatever reason, to take a daughter from his own homeland and family. He protected Abraham's servant on a very long journey 
out there in a time where he wasn't on the highway, right? Like, and there weren't gas stations, right? He protected Abraham's servant all the way over there. He sent Rebekah to answer a prayer that had not even been prayed yet. He gave Rebekah the idea to offer water to both the servant and the camels. If we wanted to get really granular here, we could say that he had even, uh, you know, gave Rebecca's parents the, the parenting prowess to, you know, help her be considerate of other people's needs, right? Um, he gave Rebecca and her family the disposition to say yes to this request to go back. He protected them on the way back. Um, what we see here is that God is orchestrating all of these small details, not just the big miraculous interventions in, in bringing a son where there was no possibility to be one, but he's orchestrating these small granular details to make sure that his promises come to pass. God's Promises are ensured by his providence. He is not only faithful to his promises, but he has the ability, even through the small details of life, to ensure that his promises will happen in history. Here's the most important thing to note here, and I want you to get from this, is that just as God is faithful to his promises to Abraham, He is faithful to his promises to his children in Christ. God's character has not changed since he made these promises to his servant Abraham. God's power has not lessened to one degree since he brought all of these things to pass in Genesis and specifically even here in Genesis 24. God's Character is still to bring his promises to pass. God's power is still able to bring his promises to pass. This is the same thing that we see in the New Testament. Paul, in Romans 8, 28, and a very familiar verse to many of us, says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You've probably at some point, um, you've probably at some point received Romans 8.28 is a kind of a comforting verse in a difficult time. And it is that. But the big picture here, Romans 8.28, when Paul is speaking to this, is he is saying that everything in your life, every detail, is working together to make sure that the God who called you will bring you all the way home. He will bring you to full and complete salvation. Do you see his presence? God is meticulously providential over the details of life, such that none of his promises in Christ may fail to you. He is working all things out so that you may one day see his face. That's what we see here, that God is faithful to his promises to Abraham, 
And because of that, we know that he may be faithful to us. The, the conclusion is that once God has promised, nothing at all, nothing can ever prevent it from coming to pass. He is both faithful in character and mighty in power. I think that's the big truth here. But what should our response be? I think, I think the first thing is, is pretty obvious. It's to be comforted that our salvation is assured, that our salvation will be completed. This is, is Paul speaks here in Romans 8. He also says in Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That promise is such a comfort for the days where we wonder things like, man, what if like these doubts never stop? Or like, what if like I still feel this way in 5, 10, 20 years? Or worst of all, like, what if one day I apostatize? Be comforted in this, this promise that God has made. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And the God who promises such a thing is both faithful to make it happen and able to make it happen. So be comforted that your salvation is assured. I would say also be comforted with other promises that God makes throughout Scripture. One of the most comforting words that I believe that Christ speaks to his disciples is this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whenever I am in my spiritually darkest times, or even in times like today, like right before I get up to go preach, I'm reminded of those words of Christ. As he says in his Great Commission, I am with you to the end of the age. He has promised to never leave us and never forsake us, and that his covenant promise to Abraham, the, the detail that he goes to make that happen is the same, to know that he is always with me. All right, so be comforted with the other promises of God. last thing I would say about our response is be certain that God's promises will come to pass, but still have initiative too. Be certain that God's promises will come to pass, but still have initiative. So we see that with Abraham here, right? Like he has a faith. He knows that God is going to bring a wife to his uh, son. But he still goes about a process to you know, help, a, help him have a wife, right? God's promises are certain. They will come to pass, but they're not automatic in the sense that they don't involve us at all. But God works through us, not if he has to work in spite of us, of course he will, but works through us. You are a part of accomplishing God's promises. He works through you just as all these other events of life. He is working in you through his Holy Spirit to bring his promises to bear on the world. We noted, we noted that there was one of those promises to Abraham that remained unfulfilled at the point of this chapter, the promise to make Abraham into a great nation. But there is, to one degree, a promise to Abraham that is still being fulfilled today. Because he promised to multiply Abraham's blessing to the entire world. God has began that process right in Christ, but Christ has sent us out 
to accomplish this promise of God to his world, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so our call is the same call that Christ's disciples received there before his ascension, go to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all people. And the question for us is, will we still have the initiative to do so? Will we work alongside God as he brings his promises to pass? My prayer is that we will. And for those who have yet to know the glory of God's promises in Christ, would come to know them. They would come to know salvation through his life, death, and resurrection because we have proclaimed it to them. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this reminder. It's truth that you are not only willing, but able to bring your promises to pass. God, I pray that that would be a continual source of comfort and joy for us today. And God, I pray that it would propel us on to mission. God, you have promised so much. And you work all things to bring your promises to pass. So I pray that you would remind us of that. You would prompt us through your Holy Spirit to work and accomplish the promises that you have made. God, I pray uh, that you'd be with us this week. That you would help us to apply these truths in specific ways. You'd help us to be reminded of ways that we can be comforted in our times of distress. I pray that you would also help us to fellowship together as joint recipients of your promise in Christ. God, we pray all of this in his name. Amen.